0: This strange tale of hauntings, vampires, mobs and arrests set to the backdrop of 1970s London has inspired many a horror fiction, but this is the true tale of the Highgate Entity. Like what you hear, please consider liking, subscribing or even writing a review on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. As always, we like to remind the listener that within this podcast are descriptions of murder and death, and you should be cautious if you find such things distressing. Also with every story there are victims, so please spare a thought for those who have suffered. Early Encounters It has been stated that the first events of the Highgate Vampire incident occurred in London in 1969, when the British Psychic and Occult Society was to suddenly receive a report of a strange spectral creature in and around the area of Highgate Cemetery. But there were earlier claims in 1967, when two teenage girls were traversing along Swain's Lane and stated that they had seen the dead rise from their graves at the cemetery's north gate. It was concurrent to these encounters that a dark tale about a tall man with a hat being repeatedly seen in the vicinity began to circulate. This sinister figure would linger slowly and purposefully about the cemetery before vanishing ...through the perimeter walls. The towering black ghost had been observed... ...prowling amid the tombs of London's Highgate Cemetery. According to the London Evening News on November 2, 1968... ...graveyard desecrations by unknown persons occurred... ...at Tottenham Park Cemetery in London... ...on the night of Halloween 1968. Tottenham Park Cemetery is located 10 miles from Highgate Cemetery, but the subsequent events are often attributed to the Highgate location. In the Tottenham Park case, no figures were spotted, but flowers from graves were laid in circular designs, with blooms bunched into arrows, now pointing to a new grave, which had been unearthed and the coffin opened. The body within had been disturbed, but by far the most horrific thing to occur was that an iron spike had been thrust through the lid of the coffin and into the corpse's breast. More otherworldly apparitions were sighted at Highgate Cemetery in 1969, according to accounts received by the British Psychic and Occult Group. The majority of the claims were from persons who claimed to have been challenged by this apparition which always appeared as the same tall black figure and was observed either within or while traversing through highgate cemetery one elderly lady claimed she was scared by a tall dark man who approached her from beyond the cemetery gates she had gone on a late night stroll with her dog But as she reached the cemetery gates, it began to cry and try to flee. In a couple of seconds she looked up and saw a person with blazing eyes looking at her. It went without a trace. The majority of the tales regarding this figure were from individuals who claimed to have been approached by this ghost, which terrified anyone who was in pursuit of travelling through the cemetery. Some of these tales were followed up on by the British Psychic and Occult Society when it was practical to do so. But many of them turned out to be repetitions of local myth that had been born out of the current sightings. The Thornton Encounter However... Eventually a witness was located who claimed to have observed the phenomena first-hand. His sole proviso was that he wanted his identity to be kept anonymous, so that his story would not be mocked and ridiculed in the press. This gentleman was henceforth referred to as Thornton. Thornton claimed that he had been captivated by a something in the graveyard after visiting late one day to look around. As the light faded within the cemetery, Thornton decided to go, but he became hopelessly lost. He was wandering around calmly looking for the gate to the cemetery, not being superstitious or even believing in the idea of ghosts. He ultimately felt safe when he suddenly became aware of something behind him, swinging around. He observed a colossal dark ghost hovering barely six feet over the ground. After being drained of vitality by a great hypnotic force that rendered him oblivious to time and his surroundings in a matter of seconds, he became motionless and unable to move. The Phantom's power was so tremendous that he lingered in this state for several minutes, or what he perceived to be several minutes, before gradually regaining his usual motor skills. When Thornton later reflected on the occurrence, he described it as almost as if some force of terribly evil proportions had actually sought him out with the intent to do serious harm. Thornton was assessed as being a simple, reasonable person who did not believe in fantasy or exaggeration. His job as an accountant alone lent itself towards demonstrating that he was fascinated by logic. There was no doubt that he had seen something. But what was particularly intriguing was that he described the entity as seeking him out and attempting to physically harm him. In the weeks that followed, many additional witnesses were interviewed, but most of these claims turned out to be second-hand reports or exaggerations of what had already been publicised. As this paranormal incident had been filed with the Society, it was necessary to obtain more information regarding the locale. David Ferrant would be chosen because of his personal interest, to visit Highgate Cemetery during daylight hours, to check the locations of the phenomenon's alleged appearances, and possibly uncover some clues that could have otherwise explained its presence. Ferrant visited the establishment, but it turned out to be disappointing, because nothing important was discovered that gave any explanation, hoax or otherwise, for the two sightings. Farrant described the following within his book, Beyond the Highgate Vampire. I arrived at the cemetery in the morning and spent several hours there. It was the first time I'd been there for over two years and the increase in vandalism was immediately apparent. Vaults had been broken open ...and coffins quite literally smashed apart. One vault near the top gate, although not visible from outside of it... ...was wide open, and one could see the remains of a skeleton... ...where it had been wrenched from a coffin. Another vault on the main pathway had been thus entered... ...and one of the coffins inside set alight. Although this vault had been padlocked and chained... The door was made of an iron grill, and the vandalized coffin was available for all to see. Furthermore, it appeared that virtually no attempt had been made to repair any of the damage. The only real indication the society had of any events occurring was the two accounts that had been filed, and it seemed to David Farrant. The only way to credit or discredit their accounts, and thus justify a full investigation, was to spend a night in the cemetery to see if the phenomenon could be witnessed. The spot where Thornton had been challenged within the cemetery seemed ideal since it was lonely, and there was no chance of being seen by anyone going by the top gate, which was the location where the old lady had seen the creature. The day chosen was December the 21st. The potential that the monster may be physically dangerous was not discounted. Farrant stated that he left the graveyard at 11pm and walked down the tiny alley that ran alongside the cemetery. It was here that he became conscious of what he called an extraterrestrial presence, which manifested as a feeling of no longer being alone. Farrant approached the top gate and prepared to climb over it. Before he did so he decided to wait and take stock of the environment. His intention was to observe any moving trees or shadows that could have explained away the old lady's sighting. A quick peek through the time-worn bars ...revealed that objects near the gate itself, along the route, were pretty simple to detect through the surrounding darkness. Farrant could sense a clear feeling of something moving when he stared into this impenetrable darkness... ...and deduced that what could have looked like a solid black object or shadow one minute might change shape or density the next... The black apparition seen by the elderly lady was most likely caused by the wind blowing through the undergrowth. Farent further went on to state that some enormous animal was heard scurrying through the bushes to the right of the path. Then, out of nowhere, something caught his attention. As Farrant looked up, his fearful eyes fell upon a towering seven-foot-tall black form that was just within the fence it was about 5 yards from the gate and was clearly visible pharan stated in his book any immediate doubts were soon dispelled when i saw two reddish eyes meeting my gaze from a black mass at the top of the shape which i took to be its head but these eyes were not human rather reflected some alive presence They were dull and penetrating like some hungry wolf, although the rest of it had no discernible features apart from a vague human shape. The whole situation seemed unreal, like some unwanted dream, but with determined effort I tore my gaze away, realising that the entity was malevolent and that I had come under psychic attack. Without warning, the figure then suddenly vanished and it appeared that for the moment at least, the entity had retreated. Things, on the other hand, were about to take a turn for the worst. Animals were being found dead within the cemetery, drained of blood and with puncture wounds on their throats in the early months of 1970. On February the 6th, David Farrant, wrote to the Ham and High, Hampstead and Highgate Express with an account of an apparition he had seen. He reported his sighting of the black figure gliding around the area and he was convinced that it was supernatural. After his letter was published, several other worried locals wrote in to say that they had seen the creature as well. With some reporting blood-red eyes and several claiming it glided rather than walked, and was dressed in a dark grey suit. Farrant, on the other hand, had competition, a man who believed he knew more about the supernatural. He was an exorcist, a vampire hunter, and even a bishop under the name of Sean Manchester. According to my London sean manchester gave himself up to be interviewed by the ham and high in a piece headlined does a vampire walk in highgate shortly after david farrant's letter was published manchester wasted no time in refuting farrant's idea that they were dealing with a ghost writing after studying the evidence and reading all the witness reports he was certain of the matter at hand and i have a quote here it became appallingly apparent that the people of Highgate were not witnessing a harmless earthbound apparition, but a vampire. Manchester made a number of dramatic assertions during his interview, including that this person was a king vampire, a medieval black magician who conducted black magic in Dracula's home before his physical demise and subsequent burial in the cemetery.
1: Vampires have been recorded from the beginning of time every culture every civilization has documented the existence of these awesome creatures of supernatural evil It's only in recent years that the church and the society that we live in which is mostly materialistic one has Mm -hmm. felt embarrassed by the Admission that there can be such things as vampires
0: Mr. Manchester said that a modern Satanist had revived the body of the King Vampire and that his demonic form now patrolled the graveyard at night. Manchester stated that two Highgate girls who were originally victims of the vampire were now suffering from odd ailments and had been observed sleepwalking like zombies through the cemetery with puncture marks on their necks, thusly implying that a vampire. Had been feeding on them for his own nourishment. Manchester claimed to have spoken with residents who had witnessed vampire activity. A schoolgirl by the name of Elizabeth had spotted the vampire while strolling along Swain's Lane. Elizabeth began to have dreams in which an evil creature attempted to enter her room at night. Two small incisions emerged on her neck eventually, and she began to show signs of anemia. It was stated that her health quickly improved when Manchester and Elizabeth's boyfriend packed her room with garlic, crucifixes and holy water. Another young woman by the name of Jacqueline told Manchester she awoke in the middle of the night with something chilly gripping her hand. She later discovered large wounds in her skin where she would have struggled to release her hand the next morning. Following the release of information on the Highgate vampire, Manchester stated that more people contacted him, all reporting a towering black figure with fiery eyes. As both Farrant and Manchester strove to stake their claim, A fierce rivalry arose between the two men, which would last as long as the tale of the vampire itself. Fully focused on the Highgate saga, Farrant originally refuted Manchester's accusations, insisting that it was a ghost and not a vampire, and that the media had enormously inflated the vampire concept. Manchester on the other hand was not having it with the ghost notion he established himself as the dramatic hero of the tale from the start, portraying himself as the vampire hunter who would bring down the vampire of Highgate. The media, of course, was enthralled by this. The Investigation David Farrant stated, that it was agreed by the Society to hold a continuous nightly vigil, at the cemetery, with two Society members stationed at each of the two locations where the apparition had been observed. The history of the cemetery, as well as any weird phenomena that may be linked to it, would be investigated. In this way, they hoped to find out about further sightings it was decided to send a letter to a local newspaper urging readers to share any actual encounters so that any subscribers may be interviewed first-hand. Anyone who claimed to have seen the creature would be quizzed and their testimonies recorded. Similar stories may be found dating back to the Victorian era and many had what Farrant termed vampiristic overtones. It had become clear to the society that reports of an apparition at Highgate Cemetery predated the present encounters. Count Dracula author Bram Stoker mentions Highgate Cemetery as the final resting place of one of Dracula's students. When he published his original book Dracula he mentioned Highgate Cemetery or due to the vagueness of the description, an area near Highgate Cemetery as the final resting place of the student. It would appear that the legends and stories of Highgate preceded and influenced the encounters that were now being investigated. The early Victorian tales were indeed resurfacing, as well as the tale of Elizabeth Siddle. Siddle was buried beside her father-in-law Gabriele at the Rossetti Family Cemetery on the west side of Highgate on February the 17th 1862 she was an English painter poet and model who lived from July the 25th 1829 until February the 11th 1862 her mother-in-law Frances Rossetti 1886 Christina Georgina Rossetti 1895 and William Michael Rossetti 1895 all buried in the same grave. Her husband Dante Gabriel Rossetti gave Charles Howell a flamboyant figure who had made his way into the Pre-Raphaelite group by claiming to be Portuguese aristocracy and even donned a beautiful crimson belt to prove it permission to disinter her coffin in August 1869 in order to collect a handwritten volume of Rossetti's poems that he had placed beside her head before burial. Howell did this in October 1869 with the help of Dr Llewellyn Williams and two others. Following that, Dr Williams disinfected the book, and the contents were then published in Rossetti's Book of Poems, 1870. Charles Augustus Howell described the extraordinary sight of the undecayed body with luxuriant red-gold hair that practically filled the casket. The inference being that Elizabeth was undead, or in a state Of catalepsy. However, they also appeared to be more substantial proof about the occult ceremonies to which Manchester referred to in his Ham and High interview. Farrant stated that he frequently discovered the discarded remains of Satanist rituals, stubs of black candles, and satanic markings on the floors of tombs within Highgate Cemetery. Farrant, like Manchester, believed that such satanic acts had possibly reawakened a long-dormant supernatural presence.
1: In the last few years, vandals stalking around the overgrown tombs have done over 9,000 pounds worth of damage. Statues have been swept from their pedestals and coffins disrupted and desecrated. The general foreman of the grave diggers, William Law, who's worked here 23 years, it's worsened an already harrowing job. This plate glass, please, to cover all these concrete blocks here. That one there, that was smashed. The glass was smashed in there, and the bam, has got in there. crawled through, broke open the coffin, emptied the corpse out on the floor, and took the, the metal container which the body was in.
0: Farrant said that his investigations revealed that individuals had seen a similar creature in the Victorian era, and its absence for many years could have been disturbed by the aforementioned satanic rituals. According to Manchester, the police were aware of the cemetery's black magic operations and activities. Farrant was a part of a pagan and Wiccan group... ...that utilised the cemetery for rituals and had no connection historically or in modern times with satanic rituals. As Farrant clearly stated, his group never tampered with the location... ...and most certainly never messed with graves or bodies... ...but that they did take advantage of the isolated open space that the cemetery provided. One of the key factors to Wiccan and pagan rituals... Is that they are performed out in the open. But this would lead to a terrible outcome. The media and the mob. The Hampstead and Highgate Express continue to pursue the sensational vampire tale over the next few months interviewing Farrant and Manchester on many numerous occasions. Farrant stated in one article that he discovered dead foxes in the cemetery but could not figure out how they died. The article was published on March 6th, 1970. Manchester also claimed to have seen the foxes as well and speculated that the vampire may have been feeding on them. The animals were found drained of blood and their necks torn open, according to reports. The national and even worldwide media quickly picked up on the unbelievable Highgate vampire ruckus. Articles emerged in the national press, ITV and the BBC produced television programmes, and even the international news agency Reuters covered the case. A cultural shift was happening in the United Kingdom, and to a lesser scale, the world. Stories of the strange and mysterious were no longer being swept under the carpet, and in some cases given front-page headlines. The Highgate vampire was part of this rising fascination. Vampires had been the subject of a lot of TV shows and horror films, and in fact the film Taste the Blood of Dracula... A Hammer horror film released in 1970 was filmed in 1970.
1: This way, gentlemen. We know the way. These men thought they had tasted all that life had to offer. Ready when you are, gentlemen.
0: Would you be willing to sell your souls to the devil? If one
1: thought that one's experience might be extended
0: it would be extended
1: to infinity.
0: There. The story would take a more sinister turn on the evening of Friday, March the 13th, 1970. The UK TV network ITV aired a show in which Farrant, Manchester and others claimed on national television to have seen otherworldly entities in the Highgate area. It seemed the date of Friday the 13th had primed the public for sinister goings-on. Hundreds of would-be vampire hunters swarmed on Highgate within two hours after the show's airing. Despite police officials' efforts pleading them to stop, they rushed through the necropolis' closed gates and walls. The vampire hunters, some of the concerned members of the public, others simply troublemakers several of whom were armed, hastily surveyed the Victorian tombs which spiral almost like a labyrinth. Those individuals that were interviewed at the location seemed to sincerely believe in the vampire narrative, stating that they were determined to track down the vile creature and put a stop to its evil. Although several claimed to have seen the evil towering black figure, The mob surprisingly apprehended no vampires that night. Despite this, it seems that the public's fear and worry appeared to be genuine. The Highgate vampire saga sparked horror, dread and incredulity. Many cemetery bodies were mangled, decapitated and driven with spikes on the night of the mob and following hunts. While some of the lucky tombs in Highgate Cemetery were only severely damaged, including being smashed open, the poor unfortunate corpse that was staked through the heart was placed in the centre of one of the public walkways. Farrant would state that the fact that two schoolgirls discovered the corpse just added to the horror of the situation
1: but in the vaults of the old catacombs where victorian families had their private sepulchres and the bodies of the long lamented were embalmed and set in coffins on the shelves other kinds of vandalism have occurred down this part here there is two tombs broken into one on the left hand side here the doors are broken open the coffin was half pulled over and a big iron stake stuck through into the coffin the stake impaled the mummified heart. Other outrages were to follow, even more bizarre, even more violent. Mm -hmm. Last August, three schoolgirls came upon the decapitated corpse of a woman scattered across this path here, outside the tomb where it had laid for nearly a hundred years. A week later, The body was removed from the tomb twice in a single day. This desecration was utterly different to anything that had happened before in Highgate Cemetery. This time there was no lead missing from the coffin, and there were pentacles and other Satanist symbols chalked here on the walls.
0: The First Exorcism On that same night, Manchester and some team members made their way to the entrance of one specific catacomb. Whilst the amateur vampire hunters crowded over the cemetery, making a scene and generally distracting the police and reporters, Manchester claimed that he had been brought to this locale before by a sleepwalking girl who claimed to have been victimised by the Highgate Vampire and was displaying symptoms that were identical to other victims. Manchester's team used a rope to descend into the dark catacomb through a window, after being unable to unlock the old, time-worn door. They were in a dank crypt, with many coffins. It was noted that amid this macabre display of coffins, one did not appear to fit in with the others. This imposter casket was constructed of a dark black wood. Manchester and his friends, intent on their holy purpose, used holy water, garlic and salt to execute an exorcism. The burnt, beheaded bones of a lady were discovered near the catacomb a few months later, on Lammas Day, the 1st of August. This mangled, defiled body was thought to have been used in a modern-day black magic ceremony, according to the authorities. Farrant and Manchester both seemed to grow more active after the mob had descended on the site and the exorcism that was performed by Manchester. On one occasion, a female psychic guide took Manchester and his team to another family vault. Here they discovered another black coffin that seemed to be identical to the one they had seen in the previous crypt. Manchester pulled up the lid, believing it to be the original coffin that had now been moved by black magic fanatics. Manchester is quoted as saying, It was only when we discovered, in that putrid chamber of that tomb in August 1970, that we did and looked upon the horrific countenance of what was inside. Manchester believed that he got unequivocal confirmation that what he suspected they were dealing with was in fact the truth. Manchester intended to drive a stake through the body that lay in eternal slumber within the coffin, but a member of his entourage convinced him not to because of the illegality of it the group employed a ceremony to remove the spirit of evil or evil presence using seven crucifixes, four white candles, and seven cups of holy water, in which was carried out by four men and a woman. It is stated by Manchester that many people in the neighbourhood breathed a sigh of relief when they heard about the spoken exorcism. As they held the belief that life once again could return to some kind of normality. Manchester also stated that the crypt was then bricked up with a crucifix and holy water placed within. The vault, however, did not stay bricked up for long, recounted Manchester. It would appear that Farrant and his team were also attempting to deal with the evil supernatural presence as well. It was decided that they should try and establish contact with the creature and figure out what its motives were. To do this, the team used two circles, incense, candles and a medium to perform ceremonies in Highgate Cemetery. The press interrupted them during their first attempt. And, according to Ferrant, another effort a year later resulted with the paranormal entity grabbing the medium by the throat. As a result, the protective circle had to be broken. The medium described the event by stating that the area became frigid and she felt as if she was being engulfed in utter darkness as if something was attempting to strangle her. As a result of these events, Farrant had come to the conclusion that the entity was malicious. He performed further investigations after hearing about instances in Swain's Lane of when a dark force had pushed individuals over. Farrant hypothesized that the entity was not a vampire at all. ...but an evil force traversing down the ley lines. This reported ley line began at the Columbarium... ...which is a section of the cemetery where urns are maintained... ...and travelled past two historic public houses... ...Highgate wood and a block of flats constructed above a nunnery. The line then supposedly passed through Highgate... Farrant claimed he had discovered proof of ominous supernatural activity in each of these locations. Once again, some of the individuals he spoke to claimed to have seen the all-too-familiar tall black figure. It is also noted that one of the flats that were erected atop the nunnery had to be exorcised. the arrest of David Farrant.
1: August the 17th, the former associate of Mr. Manchester, Alan Farrant, who used to own this tobacconist shop in Highgate, decided to pay a midnight visit to the cemetery to combat the vampire once and for all. At the cemetery, Farrant was forced to enter by the back wall, as he still does today. He armed himself with a cross and stake and crouched between the tombstones waiting.
0: It was almost the full moon on August the 17th, 1970, when Farrant's planned seance was due to occur. On the scheduled day, Highgate Cemetery was entered for the aim of conducting this psychical seance. The Thornton site was duly chosen since it was isolated and well within the cemetery confines. The participants began by protecting the group via a massive circle, which was carved into the earth. It was duly ornamented with protective symbols and sealed with consecrated water and salt. The group also created a secondary circle, which was situated ten feet away, which would be where the phenomena would be summoned to. The séance began, but only a few minutes later, in the distance within the cemetery, torchlights could be seen. This was accompanied by the muffled sound of human voices. It would transpire that the police were nearing the cemetery's back gate, but fortunately for the group, they were still some distance away. Farrant would state that this presented something of a dilemma. For not only was it dangerous, from a psychic point of view, to leave the protective circle once the ceremony had commenced, but there was the very real problem of explaining such clandestine nightly activity and being believed, let alone being understood. Because of this, the psychic paraphernalia was quickly gathered up and respective members headed for different exits in the cemetery. Farrant made a frantic dash for the rear wall of the cemetery, which for some reason he believed he could reach it without being seen by the police. He then scaled it farther along as this was the only way out. Unfortunately, he was apprehended and detained. The police did not pursue any of the other participants, and Farrant was taken away, alone. But that night,
1: police on the prowl for vandals discovered him. He was charged with being in an enclosed space for an unlawful purpose.
0: As a means of travelling light in his escape, Farrant dropped the ritual equipment he was fleeing with, which consisted of candles, incense, a wooden cross decorated with protective magical symbols, and a small tape recorder, within a thicket along the rear walk. Much to his dismay, these items were found by the police and would in fact form the basis of the police allegation of being in an enclosed space for an unlawful purpose. Two weeks later, the matter was brought before Magistrate Christopher Lee at Clerkenwell Magistrates Court. The police were unable to proceed with the investigation and the case was rescheduled until September the 29th due to the detective sergeant in charge, Neville Brown, having recently suffering a heart attack. The police presented their evidence that would support their charge, and that was that defendant, Mr Farrant, was apprehended whilst leaving Highgate Cemetery with a cross and wooden stake. His intention being to seek out and destroy the legendary vampire who slept in a coffin in the cemetery. The prosecution stated that coffins would have to be opened in order to discover the vampire throughout this process. Farrant insisted that the wooden stake was in fact just a pointed piece of wood that he used with string to measure out a magical circle. It would also appear that, by his own admission, he was disinclined to give the police the full details of the ritual that was to be performed. Logically, of course, in principle, some of this may have been correct. But due to my reluctance to give details of the séance, realising that these would never be understood because of their occult connotations, and my refusal to name members involved in the investigation, the facts had been grossly distorted. Farrant would continue to protest his innocence, stating that it was not accurate that he was detained with only a cross and a stake, but that the other items that he left behind in the thicket within the cemetery had mysteriously vanished and were never brought in as evidence. Farrant also claimed that it was untrue that there had been plans to open coffins, but the media had already associated any activities with Highgate as vampire-related, so therefore Farrant was the perfect scapegoat for all the destruction that had occurred at Highgate. A statement that was alleged to have been made by Farrant was read out to the court, which Farrant printed in his book. It basically ran thusly. At midnight, I went with the cross and state to St Michael's churchyard to look for the vampire. Had the police not arrived when they did, my intention was to make my way to the catacombs to search for it. I would have entered the catacombs and inspected the coffins in my search, and upon finding the supernatural being, I would have driven my stake through its heart and then run away. The case was eventually dismissed, with the magistrate, Mr. D.J. Purcell, accepting a defence denial of this admission As well as a further submission, the Farrant had already been featured on many television and newspaper articles in connection with the investigation, and that looking for vampires was on the same level as looking for Yeti and the Loch Ness Monster. The magistrate would further speak on the subject, stating that there was no intention of damaging coffins, and that the cemetery was not a restricted place in the strict legal sense. During the trial, many bizarre and outrageous claims were printed in the press, and after his acquittal, they were never retracted, and have therefore inaccurately spiced the stories of the Highgate vampire.
1: Now, in spite of all attempts by the cemetery owners to bar him, Farrington and his friends still maintain a regular vigil around the catacombs in hope of sighting either the vampire or a meeting of Satanists.
0: THE SECOND EXORCISM Despite the ritual performed in the tomb by Manchester and his associates, strange occurrences failed to cease, and more horrifying incidents ended any hope that we'd quietened the disturbance with a mere spoken exorcism rite. Further vampiric outrages were to follow, stated Manchester. Manchester further stated that he and his colleagues discovered the same menacing black coffin in the dungeons of an abandoned gothic house on the very outskirts of Highgate and Crouch End three years later. Manchester felt that the coffin had been relocated to evade the watchful eyes of the media and eager vampire hunters. The coffin was brought out of the cellar, up the stairs, and onto the mansion's grounds by Manchester's crew. Dawn was about to break, starting to send spears of bright illumination onto the macabre spectacle below, stated Manchester. When the lid was removed, we beheld the same thing we'd seen in August 1970. This was now the early part of 1974. Our quarry, this time, looked even more exaggerated, even more distorted than I remembered it. Far worse than even that time in the Highgate Fault. Its burning, fierce eyes under the many furrowed brow were staring. Yellow at the edges with blood-red centres, unlike anything imaginable. The mouth was set in a cruel expression, the lips drawn back. According to Manchester, he dispatched the vampire thusly, With a mighty blow, a sharpened shaft of wood impaled the creature's heart. We witnessed the body's shell cave in and quickly turn filthy brown and that itself soon became a sluggish flow with inhuman slime and viscera in the bottom of the casket. Manchester and his followers then destroyed the coffin and what remained of the body, believing that its cremation would be the ultimate deterrent and prevention to the vampire's nightly wanderings. It was stated that after a few hours, all that was left was a great scorch mark and some bones that needed to be ground down and cast to the four corners of the four winds of the earth. After this process was completed Manchester is quoted as saying Highgate Cemetery is purged. Farrant exercises the entity.
1: We have been keeping watch in the cemetery for since my court case ended and we have still found the signs of their ceremonies here. Have you ever seen this vampire? I have seen it, yes. I saw it last February and I saw it on two occasions. What was it like? It took the form of a tall grey figure, about eight feet tall and it seemed to glide off the path without making any noise.
0: On June the 21st 1971 several secret occult alder members gathered in Highgate Cemetery to perform what David Farrant described as one of the most dangerous magical rituals in existence. The purpose of this gathering was to try and counter the evil satanic forces that had taken over the cemetery and had possibly awoken or controlled the entity. This sudden flurry of activity was due to the fact that Farron had heard of an encounter of the vampire attacking a little girl in Swain's Lane. She was strolling along Swain's Lane in the early hours of the morning on her way home. A tall black figure with a deathly white face threw her to the ground with considerable force as she passed the graveyard a short distance away. An automobile came to her aid at that same time and the white-faced entity vanished into the brightness of the headlights. She was carried to Highgate Police Station in a condition of extreme shock. Her knees and elbows were covered in abrasions. The police conducted a comprehensive search of the area right away, but they were unable to locate her assailant. Even more enigmatic was the fact that the cemetery was surrounded by 15-foot-high walls where the figure had gone the magical communication was almost ready it was scheduled such that the crucial phase occurred at midnight precisely the real invocation to summon the demon began when the preparatory section of the ritual was accomplished another sub-ritual in itself. The purpose would be that the entity would be magically induced to appear in the triangle that the team had set up, where it would be able to speak with the medium via a direct psychic line. As midnight approached, the medium began the commands for the manifestation, and the circle became incredibly cold, as if some warm energy had abruptly left it. And at this, the candles went abruptly out. Nothing happened over the following minute or so, and it was unusually quiet since there was no breeze, and the fire in the circle threw an eerie red glow over everything. Suddenly, the scene was engulfed in a dense mist, and a quivering black figure appeared to be attempting to materialise through the cloud towards the participants. Two eyes appeared at the top of the moving dark figure, while the medium talked loudly, hoping to facilitate its materialization. Farrant stated that they were the same eyes that I had witnessed inside the gate, dull red and almost diabolically evil. Only this time they had increased in strength to such a degree that it was like being confronted by some living presence. A girl nearby within the group screamed and passed out, but the entity's mesmerizing effect meant that no one was aware of her. Farrant could see the hazards of continuing the ceremony, but the medium and he executed the rite of expulsion without hesitation, during which the spirit swiftly departed. the ceremony had not been a full success, despite the manifestation and quick departure of the spirit. But Farrant and the group took solace, knowing that the ceremony had shown that the bulk of sightings and observed interactions connected to the Highgate phenomena were not wholly without substance. After many years of public feuding, Leaflets surfaced in London, asking people to come and witness a magical fight to determine who was the superior wizard out of Farrant and Manchester. It would take place on Parliament Hill in Hampstead on April the 13th 1973. The press were ecstatic to report it, as this was yet another juicy story for their newspapers. Again, the police were not pleased but there was nothing they could do except strategize how to keep the mob that may turn up in check. The magic duel inevitably did not take place. According to author Don Ecker, David Farrant discovered after many years later that he was supposed to have killed Sean Manchester in a separate combat in France with swords. Farrant stated that Manchester himself circulated a photograph that showed his dead body and a made-up obituary in order to raise monies to have his body transported to Glastonbury for burial. Farrant's flat was subsequently raided by the constabulary who demanded to know what he had done with the murder victim. Despite all the media sensationalism and personal rivalries, it leaves us with an unanswered question. Was there truly a supernatural presence prowling Highgate? And has it been truly extinguished? Farrant disagreed, and ominously from the 1990s to the present, a series of sightings of towering black beings with blazing eyes have occurred. He was quite tall, well over six feet in height, and very slender said one witness who claimed to have seen the ghost in 1991. He seemed to glide as well, and there was no sound. Despite the fact the ground was packed with leaves, I heard no sound from him. Links to our website and social media are in our bio. So feel free to get in touch, tell us how we are doing and even suggest future episodes that we can cover. If you are listening to this message, then the subliminal frequency has successfully calibrated to your mind. Do not be alarmed. I am here to advise you to explore the Occultaria of Albion. The Occultaria of Albion is both a written series as well as a podcast. It explores various locations where paranormal and supernatural events have occurred. It is a broadcast on a forgotten frequency, hauntings, Time slips, cryptids, cults, and more are investigated and examined. Enter a world designed by torch and Moonlight. Go to occultariaofalbiion.com or search Occularia of Albion wherever you find your favorite podcasts. End Transmission.